Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what's bugging me. And what's bugging me is this. I am annoyed with this economy. That doesn't seem like a very professional thing to say, right? Mr. Finance Podcast Guy is annoyed. Well, I am annoyed. And the reason I am annoyed is because nothing makes sense. You see, nothing really makes sense. Inflation has been as high as it has been since the 1980s. At first, the Fed didn't think it was real. And then it reacted by increasing interest rates at the fastest rate in American history. Businesses are feeling it. Corporate bankruptcies are they're at 2009 levels, believe it or not. It's likely because of illiquid lending markets. The commercial real estate market, as we've all experienced for the most part, especially in our investor group, it's paralyzed. And with there's blood spurting through the streets right now. But... Here's the thing. Last month's job report shows that we added 339,000 jobs, significantly exceeding expectations. <sighs> As the kids say, WTF, right? Is, uh, what does that mean? What, I mean, it makes no sense at all. Why are we adding so many jobs? And I guess the better question and the question that we should answer is, well, why is the jobs report important for us at all anyway? Well, that's one of the variables that the Fed is looking at as they decide what to do with rates. Inflation is down to 4%, starting to feel kind of comfortable, right? But a jobs report like that is going to give the Fed sort of the, you know, they're going to be... They're going to be worried about getting dovish going forward, right? They're looking at this saying, hey, is this economy actually still overheated? Do we need to raise rates a little bit more? So I have no idea what to expect. That's what annoys me. I have no idea what to expect. And if I have no idea what to expect, then other businesses have no idea what to expect. And investors are equally likely to be confused. And the problem is that uncertainty is what markets hate the most. So that's where we are. And again, that's why I am so annoyed. So this week on Wealth Formula Podcast, I'm going to interview an economist who teaches entrepreneurs. Now, he's written a book on how we can start looking at the economy in a practical way, which might be helpful since the... Uh, you know, the impractical academic way doesn't seem to be helping very much. And his perspective is a little different. 
than academics who run the Fed, and he actually doesn't think the Fed necessarily has a good sense of you know how to look at the economy, which, frankly, it, I, I believe him. So make sure to tune in and hear what he has to say after we come back from these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Pierre Byland. He's, the, he's an associate professor of entrepreneurship and Johnny D. Pope Chair in the School of Entrepreneurship in the Spears School of Business at Oklahoma State University. He's the author of How to Think About the Economy, a primer. Uh, his website is PierreByland.com. Uh, Pierre, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so really, I think one of the things that we really want to talk with you about um, is, uh, you know, I think as a professor, one of the questions I have is, how does, how does economic literacy explain how society works? Yeah, let's let's start with the small questions. Right? <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's really important to understand what eco- economics is and what the economy is, uh, because to me, society and the economy are like two sides of the coin. You can't really separate the two. So if you if you understand how the economy works, you understand how to position yourself and how to start a company and all that stuff, of course. But you can also evaluate and assess policy. So economic literacy just gives you insight into how the how society in a sense works and how the economy works. And unfortunately, there's very little of this quality and surprisingly little, I would say, too, uh, that people tend to have all kinds of ideas of how the economy works, but they tend to be well dead wrong. Uh, so economic illiteracy tends to be the standard, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's uh, pretty common, um, probably globally, right? I mean, um, so how do you, I mean, when you talk about economic literacy, what are you talking about? Like, are you just talking about a basic understanding of macroeconomics, microeconomics? What is your, what do you mean by that? Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it, it's about understanding how how things actually happen. Where does economic growth come from? What does it mean? Business cycles, how do they function? Uh, where does value come from? What the heck is a price anyway? And what is the role of money in the economy? And all of those things that we tend to use every day and that we have sort of a, a, a 
some kind of understanding for practically. So I know you've uh, talked a little bit about this concept that our, we are in a period of economic neglect. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think it's, I mean, it has to do with the economic illiteracy we just talked about. Um, and, and I think in a sense, polit- politics is really the art of offering things that are impossible. You know, the economist Thomas Sowell once said that, that the first rule of economics, and I'm paraphrasing, but the rule, first rule of economics uh, is that things have a cost and that there's always a trade-off. And the first rule of politics is to, uh, is to overlook that rule of economics. Right. Right. So in a, in a sense, I think politicians do that when they sell a theory or they sell a policy and they sell themselves in a campaign. They, they tend to offer and promise things that are not possible to actually pro- uh, provide. So uh, having uh, some economic literacy means that you're not going to be able to fall for those things and you're going to be able to really hold politicians more accountable. I mean, that's just one application of of understanding the economy much better, that, that that you can you can tell what is possible and what is not, and the same thing, of course, in your own life. Do you think that that's in a that's a um, that's an American thing, or do you think that's a that's something that you, you know that people have a better grasp on um, economic literacy in Europe or or China or anywhere else? I mean, I'm just curious what what's your take on that. No, I don't think it's an American thing. I think it's rather, a, I mean, I, I think all societies have basically a lacking economic literacy. Uh, I think in, in general, people who are closer to the market and exposed to the market themselves, they would have a, a better grasp of it. So one thing that I, I often, I'm surprised when talking to entrepreneurs, for instance, that they tend to understand the economy much better than other people, simply because they, they deal with it every day. And they know what they can do and what they can't do. They know such things as, well, their customer is boss. They can try to offer whatever they like, but at the end of the, end of the day, whether they buy or not, it's really their decision. They can't, the entrepreneur can't really decide for the customer. They can, they can try to persuade the customer to make purchases, but the customer will decide if it's worth it for me or not. Right. Uh, so there's it's almost more of a practical, there's like more of a practical literacy, you know, because you look at what's going on, um, you know, let's just say, you know, academics like Janet Yellen, economically, obviously very literate. Uh, but I mean, recently claimed her policies, which, you know, massive money printing, COVID lockdowns, uh, you know, those kinds of things that they did in terms of recovery there, that they were not creating inflation. Right. So is there a discord yeah. between academic or is there a difference, I should say, between academic literacy of, of economic matters and practical literacy of economic? I, yeah, I think there is. I mean, in a sense, the, the practical literacy that entrepreneurs have, uh, they don't. They typically don't have the words for it. Right? They don't have the, the theoretical framework. They just yeah. have sort of an intuition, but they, they can't dress it in words. Um, I mean, I, I don't know about Janet Yellen. Uh, if, I mean, her... She's just acting as a politician, right? So she's trying right. to to promise things, uh, whether she understands or not that what she's doing will have certain impact on inflation or the inflation statistic. Uh, that's a different matter. I mean, politicians they tend to 
not necessarily be truthful. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, in their predictions, because they hope that, well, first of all, they want support for what they're doing right now. And they will, they will want to not uh, take responsibility for the outcomes later on. What do you make of sort of the, um, I guess the widespread detachment of economic fundamentals with, I think what for a period of time seemed to be um, really thriving markets like that, that sort of uh, discrepancy between, you know, what's happening in the economy versus what's happening in the markets. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sure, sure makes it harder to to decipher and, and sort of uncover what's going on. I, I don't think that the, the basic basic economic understanding that it's it's always applicable. Uh, the issue, though, is that there are so many distortions and manipulations of how it works. Uh, and very often, it's, it's simply the creation of money by central banks or the banking system, right? But with all this new money that creates all this phenomena that you wouldn't otherwise see. And we tend to think of, when we talk about the markets, we tend to think of the financial markets, but the, the economy is so much bigger, right? The, the economy is, is really the real economy, meaning that it's the physical things, it's the production, uh, it's uh, the businesses, things like that, whereas financial instruments are attempts to work with the financing of it. Uh, and, and the loss of finance are, are typically different in the sense that you're not actually creating new value, which entrepreneurs do in production. They're creating value for consumers. Whereas in finance, you're moving money back and forth and you're working with statistics in order to make certain bundles or or whatever seem less risky and therefore you can charge more, things like that. So it's, it's it's a different game in a sense in the finance markets than in the economy overall. So is that, is that yeah, in your view, is that a relatively new thing? I mean, because going back to the Great Depression, and I'm, I'm certainly no economic historian, but, it, you know, you start with a, a big uh, a stock market crash and ultimately a bunch of businesses going out of, uh, you know, businesses going out of business and, and widespread unemployment. It just seemed like there was a much more correlated uh, type of movement between markets and um, you know, what was happening in the real economy is, do you think that that's true? Um, I think the, the link is not as obvious anyway. And I mean, that has mm-hmm. probably to do with this uh, again, it's the creation of new money because there's so much more money created and that ends up in the financial markets first and primarily uh, it leads to a different life. And, and, and that was not the case before. I mean, you mentioned the, the Great Depression. Well, we were still in the gold standard. So even money itself was tied to the, the, the amount of gold available, whereas now money is completely untethered from anything, basically. It, it could, they can create them at will and out of thin air and just create another trillion whenever they feel like it, right? Just push a few keys on the keyboard and, and there's another trillion dollars to spend in the economy. So in a sense, it's different that way. Uh, I'm not sure finance itself is, is different, but the fact that finance gets all this this created uh, money makes it different. So basically the fact that there's more debt, right? There's more debt available. Yeah, right. I, I guess you could put it that, like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, in, in terms of your book, when you talk about how to think about the economy of primer, give us some thoughts on, you know, just some highlights in terms of that. I presume this is written as a primer. So people are, you know, people are, uh, you know, like on this show who listen to this are smart people and, and may want to, you know, start thinking about, well, okay, there's a lot to think about here. There's a lot of terminology. So, so where does one start? Yeah, and, and that was exactly the point with writing this primer, that, that there was no good place to start. So people often ask me, so if I want to learn about the economy, if I want to, want to not dig very deep, but at least gain some, some basic knowledge, where should I start? What is it a good article to read or what is a good book to read? And I didn't really find any good ones or not good enough. So, and I, or if they are good... Uh, and and you can read them. They're usually very expensive because they're published by academic publishing houses. So so in order to buy the book, you need to spend like eighty bucks or something like that. And for most people, uh, I mean, learning a little bit of economics is it's not that important. So so they wouldn't want to spend that much, and they won't, they don't want to invest that all that much time either. And and like you mentioned, there are plenty of terms and jargon and math and all of this stuff. So the whole point of the the primer was to to produce a, a an overview of the economy so that you can quickly sort of get it a, a feel for an understanding for how it works in all its parts and not spend a whole lot of time so you can you can read it in an afternoon without problem because it's really short uh there's no jargon whatsoever uh and it and it's cheap i mean it's five bucks sure. or eight dollars from from amazon so, so how so in terms of just just to give like sort of just some general ideas, I mean, what do you what do you recommend in terms of where do people start? I mean, in terms of the when when you start talking about the primer, what how did you just des- decide what to talk about in there? Well, it was not really uh, difficult because it seemed pretty obvious. Because the the problem with with economics is that you have to think about. I mean. The, since it, we're talking about people acting and people reacting and the whole economy is really based on how people value different things and how they make choices. I had to start talking about how we need a framework to understand what is going on before we can start measuring things. So it, it, it's really not suitable for using the same methods as in, in physics, for instance, where you can, you can measure the weight and mass and, and so forth of things. But since we're talking about value, and what people value personally, I mean, subjective values is core to it. You really don't have a metric for it. And even money itself is, is an economic concept that, that requires some understanding. So you have to start with talking about, okay, so how can we at all decipher and uncover what is going on? Well, you need a framework for it. So I had to start talking about that. And then I could dig into talking about what is actually going on in the economy. And what is going on in the economy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this, this, I mean, this, this is a primer on how to, how to understand the economy, right? So right. I'm not actually giving any, there are no in investment advice or anything like that. It, it just gives you a, a, a baseline for how, how you can then uh, apply this line of thinking. And I mean, it's, there is an economic way of thinking about things. And typically it's, it's sort of the reverse of what we tend to think. So when we see something, we see sort of a monopoly or we see someone who's rich and something like that, we tend to think, think about it in a certain way, but economics uncovers the process that led to it. And if you have 
just a basic understanding for those processes, you can also uncover where this comes from. And then you can make a much more educated uh, assessment of whether you think it's right or wrong and not just see it and have it an, an instantaneous reaction, but instead under, understand it. And then based on that, you can, you can make up your own mind. Um, you know, obviously you're an economist. Um, so tell us kind of, I mean, obviously we're in a very unusual time right now. What's your yeah. take on what happened here? I mean, just obviously we had um, we had this we um, had the COVID, and you know, basically everything went uh, everything shut down. Massive money printing. We had helicopter money. How did we get to where we are without necessarily figuring out what was going to happen? You know. I mean, how, how did that happen? Just as an economist, give us your play-by-play from your perspective. Well, I mean, I think there are plenty of, of, of uh, bad moves, really, because uh, very often the, the, the reaction in terms of economic policy has been to get rid of the symptoms quickly uh, rather than think of the long term. And the economy is cumulative and plenty of innovations that build off of innovations and build growth over time. And then as soon as there's a hiccup, and usually the hiccup is created by, by interventions in, in the economy, but you want to quickly get rid of the symptom and just move on, right? Which typically means that you enter, or politicians do, and they try try to fix the problem or or, or make sure the build in, in a sense, build another bubble on top of the bubble that just burst. Right. And if that is how, how you're dealing with things, and you're sort of short-sighted in, 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 in this sense, you're going to build bigger and bigger bubbles to just swallow the previous bubbles that that that, that burst. Right. Uh, and 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 that's sort of where we are right now. Uh, and eventually, you're not going to be able to build another bubble. And then, then well, then then we're going to have a, a lot of problems because they, they, there there's I mean one one of the implications of, of my book and what I talk about there is that there is such a thing as an economic reality. Unfortunately, a lot of people deny this today. So they, they say that there is no such thing as, as an economy. It's whatever we make it to be. And, and, and they're right in the sense that we make up the, the economy. The economy is, is made up of us and what we do. But it doesn't mean that we are not limited or restricted by economic law and, and, and certain, certain the nature of the, the marketplace, for instance. And, and so we need to understand this in order to manipulate it, if you will, or, or use it to certain ends. This requires that we have an understanding or we create problems that we, that we simply could not foresee. Uh, and, and I think that's where we're at now. I mean, we, the, the great financial, financial crisis of 2007 and 2008, when it was really a response to the bubble that was created before then, the housing bubble, which was created in order to, in a sense, swallow the bubble it was the dot-com boom before then. So, I mean, it's, it's bubble on top of bubbles, and they get, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, of course, now with, with the pandemic, it was not really an economic bubble that burst, that they had created, but it was this, they, they needed a reaction to it. And, of course, they, they chose to just pause businesses. And, and, I mean, as an entrepreneurship professor, I, I don't even know what that means to pause a business. There's, there's no way you can do this because it's, it's a process. Right, uh, and and that meant that they had to had to uh, give people a lot of money 
um, in order to just be able to pay their bills, even though, and because they couldn't go to work. Right. right. Um, but that also means you have a lot of people who can demand things and buy things in the marketplace because they get all this money. But who's producing this stuff? No one is producing this stuff because they're all at home. So that, of course, is going to bid up prices like crazy. Yeah. So everybody has money and everybody wants to buy stuff and no one is producing more stuff. So you have less stuff than before and more money to buy it. Yeah. Of course, the prices are going to skyrocket and that's what we see too. Interesting. Why do you think that was not clear to the Fed? I mean, what, what's your take on that? Do you think they, you know, they thought it was transient? Why, why do you, what, do you, what did they miss? I mean, there's a lot of smart people in that room. You know. Yeah, yeah, there are, um, and I, I, I mean, in a sense, this is going to sound weird, but I, I, in a sense, it's it's a lack of economic literacy. Yeah, because in macroeconomists in general don't really have this sort of old style economic literacy that I'm talking about. Uh, there's no conception of entrepreneurs, and there's no conception of businesses. There's no conception of production or things like that. Instead, they're they're dealing with aggregate statistics. So they're talking about the unemployment rates. They're talking about the price level and things like that. And, and they're, they're assuming that they, there are certain relationships between these aggregates. But any sort of real economist, quote unquote, will say, well, the unemployment rate is really a, a bunch of people not can, who cannot find a job compared to how many have jobs. But why can't they find jobs? Well, there's something in the economy that means that that leads entrepreneurs to not start businesses or not expand their business and therefore not hire people. So, so there are sort of, in, in academia, we talk about the micro foundations of, of these things, right? That there, there's individual actions that give rise to these phenomena, these economic phenomena, but we can't really understand the phenomena without talking about how they came out or what people were doing. And macroeconomics typically, they, they ignore these things. Um. I'm curious on something that, you know, again, this, this is an unusual economy and where I feel like it is, um, you know, the, 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 I feel like the, um, problems are being more felt on a top down basis this time. Whereas, you know, with, with large, with businesses having trouble maybe getting, um, you know, good, financing and and uh certainly in the apartment space uh, we're seeing that in big multi-family apartment buildings and complexes meanwhile great jobs numbers right what's how does that happen i am so confused by this i have to tell you because it sounds to me like i'm hearing like you know that the the number of businesses that are um, declaring bankruptcy is extremely high right now um, I keep hearing, and, and, and I know from personal experience as a business person that it, it, you know, lending, the lending market's making it very challenging for everybody. Inflation is uh, a problem for businesses. Why are there so many jobs being created in this economy? Because that seems to be part of the problem uh, in terms of inflation. Yeah, I mean, you're right that nothing really seems to make any sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But but when we're talking about unemployment, we're talking about a lot of people who left the job market. I mean, unemployment is how many are actively seeking new seeking jobs and don't have one compared to the people who have jobs. And 
a lot of people left the job market because it was simply they, they they couldn't find jobs and in the pandemic they're like what the heck i'll retire or i'll just live off of mom and dad or whatever it might be right so so people left in that way that affected the statistics um you're right that many businesses went under uh so there were fewer jobs in absolute numbers but also fewer workers in absolute numbers and at the same time you have plenty of new money that you give to people as consumers and also that you invest in new businesses so they can hire people but they're not are they actually producing for consumers well they're producing for the new money uh, so it's it's not people earning wages in the same sense as before uh, and, and then uh, economizing on the other purchases. Instead, you have people getting more money than they earned, quote unquote, uh, and, and spending that in the economy. And, and, and then you have venture capitalists investing much of this new money that they got in financial markets in, into businesses that they wish to scale up. So you have plenty of businesses where, where businesses don't really make any money, uh, but they're, they're expanding like crazy anyway, because they think that later on, if they get into a monopoly situation, or if they're like the only one uh, that will deliver groceries or whatever it might be, and all businesses, all the stores use this platform to do it, then they can start to, to make money off of it. So, so they're sort of, it, starting and expanding based on debt and not really having sound figures. Uh, and, and then they're hoping to find a business model later on. Really good. Last, last, uh, last month, I believe it's 339,000 jobs and soaring way past expectations. Yeah. Much of this is simply that the economy is, is functional again after the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, the, but, but but you're right. I mean, none of these statistics make any sense. And of course, the statistics are. I mean, how truthful are they? That's also an issue always. Well, and then the the problem is that that's what the Fed is going to base decisions on, right? I mean, you, yeah, of course. Like, and then so, what's your take on interest rates? Do you think um, do you think that they need to continue to go up? Do you feel? Do you think that? Uh, I guess it depends a little bit on what your what you think the the medication that the economy actually needs is right. If you want to get us quote unquote soft landing, you want to, you want those rates to stabilize and maybe go down a little bit uh, versus if you want to sort of clean house, you probably let them rise. So what, what's your take? And I think, you know, just, just for clarity, I think you kind of come from more from the Austrian economic school, right? So I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're going to say, let those rates rise. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and for, for the simple reason that they have been kept artificially low for so long. And when you keep interest rates too low or not too low, but lower than they otherwise would have been, it means you get a lot of investments that are not really be made because there is value to be created for consumers, but instead because there seem to be value, there seem to be profits to be made because the interest rates are lower than they otherwise would have been. So you have sort of overinvestment in some sectors, which means you have relative underinvestment in other sectors. And what drives this is the interest rates rather than expectations of what consumers will buy. So in this sense, I mean, I wouldn't say they may necessarily clear house, but, but there are plenty of businesses that are 
producing things that consumers are not really expected to demand. And there are businesses that should be uh, operated and that should be started but have not been because these other businesses have hired the people and have used the resources. Right? So there's sort of a, a distortion in, in, the, in the overall economy that is structural. So maybe we would have seen exactly the same number of jobs, who knows, but the jobs would have been in other businesses and had the interest rates been allowed to sort of re reflect the actual fundamentals in the, in the marketplace. We've lived in like this period of time where the Fed has been so reactive to the markets, right? That part of me thinks that the, the, uh, the reason for those jobs is that, that the real economy doesn't believe the Fed, that they, that they're it, it essentially saying, yeah, they're not going to keep raising rates. Before you know it, we're going to be back booming again. And we don't want to get caught behind when they're bluffing about continuing to tighten things up. What do you think? Yeah, I think that is right. Uh, and, and I mean, in, in any business, you can't really base your decisions on the past. You have to base your decisions on the best possible expectations. Uh, and and that's, it's, that's true when you start a business, you can't know what people will buy from you or, or if they will. You have to make an expectation and then make investment based on your, your best guess. And it's the same thing with the Fed. If your business depends on interest rates doing this or that, uh, being high or low or what, what have you, then your, your expectation is going to be you, what, what you, you're going to make your decisions based on the expectation. And this is also then why, why we have the Fed going out and saying things, because not because they're actually going to do it, but because they think that saying it will create these differing expectations so that the behavior will be what they actually want. Right. right? So, so they might say that, oh, we will, we will increase interest rates, and they know that no one is going to believe them. But if they say that we're going to keep interest rates the way they are, then people might invest even more in certain things. Yep. So they, they better say something that they know is not going to, is not true and it's not their intention whatsoever, but they think that the outcome will be a certain behavior, Yeah. which of course is, is, <laughs> it, it's really, really weird because you yeah. can't really, you can't really uh, foresee how businesses will react to this. If, if you are trying to sort of second guessing and, and playing that game, instead of, of, of setting interest rates and, 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 and just using the tools, right? One more question for you, which is this, is that, you know, I know you have no crystal ball, none of us do, but what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? I mean, this is kind of a, another strange period in, uh, in American economic history, you know, the slope of these rates going up so fast. It's remarkable to me that we have not, seen that much destruction yet um what 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 do you what do you foresee happening well i don't really foresee the fed raising interest rates because I, I don't i don't i don't think that they're able to because as soon as they try and i mean they they try to to uh, reduce the money supply a bit and then of course the reaction is is swift right so well, what i'm looking at really is is entrepreneurship and the creation of value for consumers. And what is the 
is the economic structure in terms of actual production, actual use of labor, actual use of resources and things like that. Is that actually in line with where entrepreneurs would put them had they not been subject to all these manipulated signals in a sense? Right. Uh, And and from that perspective, the economy is sort of out of whack. The the structure is is wrong. It's, it's, uh, it's, It's distorted by all these signals. And that requires a correction. Now, does that mean that we're going to see a depression in the next year or five years? Not necessarily. I mean, it's going to be correcting a distorted economic structure will require, I mean, it's going to be costly no matter what. But it could be that it's a sort of an extended uh, process with businesses moving, going out of business or some producers shifting to another industry, but they're not doing it on mass. Instead, they're doing it a little here and a little there, which means we're going to have much less economic growth. So maybe we'll see stagflation. That's a possibility, like the extended stagflation. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen. Who, who knows? I, I can't. Like yeah, so stagflation control. is uh, so high, high in unemployment, right? Uh, yeah, without economic growth. Right. Yeah, high inflation. Right, inflation and, and, and no economic growth. No economic growth. Right. So, um, yeah. So that's that's kind of what your your thought is. So maybe you don't. Maybe it's not a big, you know, blood in the street. You know, the, that the type of thing that you think of with a big crash, but just sort of a prolonged period of stagnation, like Japan or well, something. I hope it's not a, a crash, but I mean, it's it's yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, it's not impossible. Yeah. And I mean, the, the way it's looking now, I mean, if, if you want to put on sort of a pessimist hat, uh, then it's not looking good at all in terms of the structure of the economy and what is going on. Uh, so it, it could a bit turn into a depression because uh, it seems like uh, the Fed and, and, and politicians are, are, are definitely focusing on, on getting rid of symptoms and thereby extending a crisis rather than actually letting, letting the market sort itself and the economy fall back into its right track, sort of. Um, the, the issue now, though, is that the, the depression happened under the gold standard where money had sort of a, was tethered to something, whereas now money is what? It's, it's nothing at all. So the question then is, well, what, what is the bottom? Is there one? So, I mean, the worst case, this, this could be hell, but typically I think we, we underestimate the, the market economy. It's much more resilient than we expect from it. So, so I'm, I'm hopeful that we're not going to see uh, chaos, but there's no way I'll tell you. Yeah. Again, the book uh, is How to Think About the Economy, a primer. Uh, Paired uh, is available uh, on Amazon, the usual places, pretty much everywhere you can get a book. <laughs> or is it, uh, or is it just at your website? No, I mean Amazon would be uh, probably the easiest place to get it, as usual. Um, you can also download it for free. So the the PDF version and the audiobook are both free, uh, and you can download it from Mises.org/primer. Mises.org/primer. So it's M-I-S-E-S org Fantastic. Pera, thanks so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, so now you can see why I'm annoyed. You could probably hear me being annoyed. Doesn't make any sense, right? Bottom line is, it is an economy that is schizophrenic. And I'm just waiting for it to declare itself. Which personality are we going to go with here? And um, that's a tough place to be. So anyway, I guess, you know, the only thing that we can continue to do is, you know, just pay attention and wait for opportunities to come. You know, I, if you haven't done so and you are an accredited investor, think about joining our accredited investor group at wealthformula.com because we will react in one way or another uh, when the time is right. Uh, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.